You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. And uh, this morning, I'm actually excited because we're starting a brand new collection, and the brand new collection is called Stories. And today we're going to talk specifically about your story, and uh, even more specifically than that, I want to talk this morning about how, how you live your best story. Because I think all of us want to live our best stories, don't we? In fact, really, I think if you want to, to know kind of your perspective of your best story, all any of us need to do is share our phones with each other or share our computers with each other. Because if we were to scroll through each other's Facebooks or YouTube accounts, right, in our feeds, the things that would be shown would be different on your Facebook feed than on my Facebook feed. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not going to be uh, like anti-tech this morning or kind of give you like, oh, big brother's watching, so turn your technology off, right? Um, I, I don't want to do that. But it is true that on your Facebook post or Instagram post, you'll be shown more of what you have searched for. So your Facebook and YouTube feeds will look much differently than mine. In fact, my daughter, Faith, who is probably watching right now uh, from New York, she actually works for a company that's um, an artificial intelligence company that has developed these algorithms that are working behind the scenes to orient what you see based on the things that you're searching for. So if you looked at my phone, you would see Sidhu jet skis, Ford trucks, and guns. If you looked at Steve Crump's phone, you would see glitter, bath bombs, and kittens. And so, and so, I love you, Steve. All right, so, so if we looked at each other's phones, right, and we passed them, what we would see is, is more of basically what we think will allow us to live our best lives. And so what these companies are doing is they're feeding us information that says, man, if you have this car or this experience or this trip, then you'll ultimately be able to live your best life. Now, honest moments this morning, how many of you have ever purchased something based on an ad that you saw on either TV, Facebook, or Instagram? Just raise your hand. Okay, come on, raise your hands, all right, this morning. Let's be honest, we're an honest place, okay? <laughs> so some of you are like, like, I believe that you didn't do that, right? Like, I know some of you right now, you're like, oh, I'm not that weak-willed. Yes, you are, okay? Because uh, we all know the truth this morning. Um, because what happens is, uh, sometimes we attach a picture um, to what we think that our best stories will look like. And so all of us, whether you want to admit it or not, if we're honest, all of us are moving, we're spending, we're tweaking, we're building, we're acquiring things that we think if we have these things or experience these things will ultimately lead to my best life. And so today, what I want to focus on is what should and how do we live our best stories that God has given us? Because the truth is, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, so to speak. But so often, these things play into me living what I would say is an isolated story that is so often focused on me, and it's me-centric. And what we want to realize this morning and come to, to uh, acknowledge is that if you want to live your best, best stories, 
We really, in many ways, need to live beyond the algorithms of our YouTube feeds or our Instagram feeds and focus on the stories that, that I would say live for and invest in the people and the things that ultimately matter for eternity. And that's what this whole you, uh, this whole, this whole uh, who uh, camp uh, initiative is all about. It's about living beyond ourselves for the good of other people. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story in John chapter 9 that I really believe will encourage all of us because what we'll discover in this story is that God, I believe, is looking for what I would say mighty men and women who would stand in the gap for him and be willing to bring about reconciliation and restoration to a very broken world. And what I believe is, is that in every single Christ follower, someone who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that God has placed within him or her the ability for supernatural greatness. And that God has called us to, to make a huge difference in this world around us as we live out the stories that God has entrusted us to. But here's the tragedy. The tragedy is that when you look throughout history, there are, is a shortage of men and women who live by faith. Now you say, well, Dan, how do you know that? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, take out your phone, text the word seen to 97,000, pull out your message notes, follow along with me this morning, because I want to show you a verse uh, that, that will kind of show this. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And if you put that on the screen, I want to read this to us this morning. It says here that I looked for someone among them, God speaking. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And then let's just read this together. It says, but sad reality, the God of the heavens looking down, saying that I'm looking for people who would be willing to live out their redemptive story. And it's showing here generation after generation of people who are failing to embrace their redemptive story, and it's grieving the heart of God. Now, here's the thing. I don't say that to discourage you this morning. Like, it's not like, welcome to Depression Weekend at 360 Church. Do you know what I'm saying? I say that to inspire you. To inspire you that God has created you on purpose and for a purpose. That he's created you to leave a legacy in this world and for, for you to live out your best story. But if you're going to live out your best story, the key to that is it's found in God's greater story. And that is so important. In fact, Eugene Peterson said it this way. Such a great quote. He said, when we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, look, not on Facebook, not on YouTube, not on Instagram, not on our feeds, right? When we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, we find that we're not being led to see God in our stories. He says, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories ultimately find themselves. And so often, man, we, we flip that around. And the reality is if we're going to live our best lives, we need to interject ourselves and put ourselves into the middle of God's story. And when we do that, we'll be able to live our best lives. 
And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at John chapter 9, which is a story about a blind man that Jesus intersects and makes a huge difference in his life. And I've been praying this uh, last couple of weeks that God would use this story to speak to every heart in the room today. Because I think there's some principles in this story that can really be used in our lives to help us understand our stories better. And what's happening here is, is that Jesus is actually in John chapter 8. He's hanging out in the temple and he's hanging out by the treasury. That's kind of funny because often in the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus hung out by the treasury. I think it's where people gathered. And so Jesus is hanging out there and the religious leaders are listening to Jesus as he's talking. And Jesus is being honest with them. And he's telling them who he really is. And uh, these guys were having nothing of it. Like they didn't want to know that he was the son of God. He was claiming to be God himself, the son of God. And these religious leaders were getting angry. And here's what it says in uh, chapter 8, verse 59. It says, at this, after Jesus said that he was the son of God, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus, look at this, hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, I don't know why, but when I read that, I thought about MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Come on, some of you old people. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I just think like, Jesus like, okay, you can't touch this, right? Like, I'm going to move on beyond you. So Jesus hides himself, and then it says he kind of wandered off the scenes. And then check this out. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Jesus comes out of the crowd, right, somehow, don't know how. And he walks by and he sees a blind man. And what I noticed about the life of Jesus is this, is that Jesus was often reviled, but he was never ruffled. Like, there was this marvelous, I would say, calmness and this quiet spirit about Jesus that even when the religious people hated him or misjudged him or slandered him, he didn't allow it to distract him from the sense of purpose in which God had created him. None of that mattered. Because he was going to focus on the reason he was there and why and what his purpose was. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, the purpose of Jesus was to add value to anybody he came in contact with. The Son of Man came not to serve himself, Oh my gosh, man, I love that on my Facebook feed, right? Let me take, get this from my... No, he came to give himself up and to serve other people and live for their value and their benefit. And it's what ultimately motivated him with everything that he did. But here's the cool thing. Jesus would ask the same of us. Check out this verse in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. He says, if you try and keep your life for yourself, you will, what, everybody? You're going to lose it. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will find, what does it say? True life. Let me ask you an honest question. How many of you really want to experience true life this morning? I think we all do. And I think what we know intuitively is that sometimes when we are self-serving and living for ourselves and living for those items that we will find on on our news feeds, right? When we live for the pursuit of those things, ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't satisfy. And we know there's got to be something more beyond that. And that true life is what Jesus wants to show us this morning. And so we're going to look at some things from John chapter 9 that I really do believe 
Not every single one of these five things that we're going to talk about would apply to every single person, but I believe there's at least one thing from this story that can impact you today. And so I want to encourage you to be a note taker because if you're going to live your best story, you've got to do some of these things. Number one is this. If you're going to live your best story, you've got to let God be the author of your story. If you want to find true life, you've got to let Jesus be the author of your story. Remember, again, Jesus is walking along. He sees this blind man. And then here's what it says in verse 1. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so what I want us to recognize this morning is this, and I think we intuitively know this, that the world around us wants to write the narrative of our lives. Wouldn't you agree with that? That the world wants to tell us who we are, how we should live, what we should do. The world around us wants to write the narrative of our lives. The world around us wants to define who we are. And even his disciples who were with Jesus, who should have had a totally different perspective, even through their lenses, they viewed this guy as a nobody. This guy was just a sinner. This guy was someone who had very little worth. And what Jesus does in, the, in, this, in these few verses here is he's giving them a perspective that is very different than their perspective. And what Jesus is trying to show them is that they were created on purpose, or he, this man was created on purpose and for a purpose. That God had a greater plan for his life. And yet, in their perspective, they had it all wrong. In fact, if you were to study culture of that day, there were a few known arguments that, that most people believed, especially religious people. The first one was is that they believed that if somebody got sick or something like that, it actually was a punishment for sin. That this guy obviously did something wrong and God was punishing him as a result of it. The religious leaders also taught and believed that there was such a thing as prenatal sin. Now, those of us who have children, we know that there could be such a thing, right? As prenatal sin, right? And it almost seems like our kids come out, right? Like, like okay, come on, right? Um, like, like sinning, like, but they believed, like, based on Jacob and Esau from the Old Testament, that there must have been some prenatal sin. So they're like, obviously, this guy, right, had done it wrong. And yet, the truth of this story, what Jesus was trying to show, was that even when bad things happen, God can use it to bring about a glorious result. And what is very important for us to understand is it wasn't like before this man was born. God up in heaven played a cosmic joke on this guy and said, let me make you blind only so when you became an adult man, I can make you healed. Because that's not how God works. The way God works is even in our painful circumstances, he can bring out a glorious response to those things. Because he can use those broken things in our lives. The, the truth is this, is that if we're going to live our best lives, there is value in understanding that every single one of us 
has been created as a precious child of God. And even though sin may taint our lives and mar our lives, which so many of us feel that and recognize that, there is a, is a, and that's a grim reality that does overshadow our lives. It doesn't overshadow the reality that every single person in the room has intrinsic value because they've been created by God. Amen, somebody? Man, tell the person next to you, you have value. Now, I want to tell you to tell your second choice on the other side, you really, really, really have value. Because we have value. And I think what Jesus was pointing out here is that when we begin to understand how valuable we are in God's eyes, and that God has a purpose for us even in our pain, that's when we really begin to live out the stories that God has created for us. And when we do that, that's where God can ultimately be glorified. Um, here's what I want, I think it's an important thing for us to understand. That if we have a wrong understanding of God, we will always have a wrong understanding of our God-given worth. I want to say that again. When we have a wrong understanding of God, it will always impact our own personal worth. And if you don't know your God-given worth, you will end up living your life out of brokenness instead of living your life out of strength. I'm going to give you an example. Um, my dad, in many ways, was an amazing man and um, an amazing father. And so this morning, I'm telling you, I'm honoring my dad. I honor him because he was such a great man in many ways because Jesus made him great. Um, he was a man of character. He was a high integrity, high integrity, loyalty off the charts, valued his family like nobody's business. Like I remember even being a kid, like uh, on the weekends, he's like, look, you got all week to play with your friends. On the weekends, it's family time. High value on family. I love that about my dad. But one of the things that my dad struggled with, and I think it was because of his upbringing, but he struggled with an anger issue. And so he had a really short fuse. And so sometimes he would just get angry and mad about things. And I can't tell you the number of times as a young kid and especially a teenager, my dad said these words when, when he'd get upset at something I did, he would say to me, you'll never make it in the real world. And if I heard that once, I probably heard it a hundred times. But what happened was those words, as I entered into, an adult, into adulthood, actually left a scar in my heart. And so instead of me understanding my value and worth before who God says that I am, I entered into adulthood living from that perspective. And so what I tried to do, because I would never make it in the real world, I tried to find my value in getting it in the, from the approval of other people. Whether it was my boss, my wife, uh, my friends, and I would need their value. And it was determined, my value was determined on how well I performed and what other people thought of me. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s, and I've shared this with you before because this is my story and I'm sticking to it, right? But I remember when I was in my early 30s when I finally, finally came to the realization of who God said that I was and how much value I intrinsically had in his eyes and that because he created me, his eyes were the only eyes that ultimately mattered. And when I finally got to that point, 
I came to the place where I said, I don't care what you think of me when I'm up here preaching. Because right now I'm looking at all of you in your underwear. And that's an ugly sight, man. I'm telling you right now, right? <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I used to be so afraid to get up on stage because it was about what you thought of me. But when God finally said, Dan, I've given you words. You might not be the most eloquent speaker in the world, but I've given you words. I've created you, man. I've given you a story. Share your story. Share what, you, what I'm teaching you. And if you'll do that, man, I'll give you strength. You'll be able to do those things. And what's reality of me, when I finally came to that place, man, it gave me a strength in life. Instead of being a deficit, it became my strength. And what is true of me, listen, is true of you. But the problem is, if we allow the world to write the narrative of our stories, we're going to be really, really miserable people. But if we allow Jesus, allow God and who he says that we are, to write the narrative and be the author of our stories, I'm telling you, it will give you strength to live the life that God is calling you to live. And how many of you want to live with strength this morning, right? See who you are in God's eyes, right? Not in man's eyes, right? Uh, second thing is this. So first of all, let God be the author of your story. Second one is, I think what Jesus would show us here is, we got to love people well. We just need to love others well. It says here in verse 4, um, Jesus speaking, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here. I'm going to use my life to make a difference. I'm going to fulfill the purposes of God. I'm going to bring light to this world. When I go to heaven, you disciples, that's what you're going to do. You're going to bring light to the world around you. And he says, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of shalom. This word means sent, which is a very important word, because remember I just told you, Jesus is saying, I'm the light. I'm going in the world to make a difference. I'm going to send you, that's what Jesus is saying, send you to make a difference, like I'm sending this man. And then he goes on to say, so the man went and washed and came home, what everybody? Miracle of God, right there, seeing. Now, here's what I want you to see. How many of you know that spit is nasty? Come on. How many of you know spit is nasty? Like there's nothing more disgusting to me than when people chew tobacco and they leave a spit bottle. You know what I'm saying? It is just, that's nasty, right? Um, in, fact, in fact, Becky and I, we're, uh, we found out we're going to have uh, two grandbabies within the next six months, and we are so, so excited about that. And uh, one of my favorite, the only time spit's ever nice is, is when they have that little baby bib that says, spit happens. And have you ever seen that before? Oh my gosh, I love that one. That's the only time it's cute, right? You know what I'm saying? It's your grandbaby, right? Other than that, spit's nasty, okay? Um, now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this for a minute. Based on this story, how many times do you think this man heard people spit and that spit was from the religious society of that day that were spitting as a result of disgust and disdain for this man because this man had obviously sinned and what the religious leaders were doing in that day was oh my gosh like obviously you sin man you're disgusting in god's eyes because you're a sinner and they would walk by and they would spit either on the man or near the man.
I can't even say it. Could you imagine being that man? And what he experienced on a daily basis, and it just isn't one day or two days. The Bible says this man was an adult grown man that needed help. And you think about this story for a minute. What this man did not need was the religious people of the day disdaining him anymore. What this man didn't need anymore was the disciples being just like them where they were writing him off and judging him. What this man needed more than anything in the world was compassion from them. The compassion that Jesus ultimately came to show the man. And you can imagine what he was thinking when all of a sudden he heard this man Jesus was walking by, calling out to Jesus, and the first thing that Jesus does is he spits. And I'm sure his thought was, you're just like all the rest. But Jesus does something different for the man. He makes mud, and he puts it on his eyes, and he heals the man. And what they meant to destroy his worth before God, Jesus used to show how valuable this guy really was. Amen, somebody? Man, that ought to mess us up. And how often do we in society do that to those around us that don't know Jesus? Like their sin, stay away from them, right? And I've been a pastor for 29 years. And there are two things that I have discovered when it comes to people coming to Christ and people who are evaluating coming to Christ. One is this, is that most people are not, from my perspective, atheists by a reason. They're atheists by reaction. And what I mean by that is they've experienced something in the religious community that has hurt their hearts deeply. Whether that's judgmentalism, criticism, hypocrisy, right? And what I want you to know, if that's you here today, maybe you're here and you're investigating the claims of Christ. That is not our Savior. Because our Savior is someone who loves you. And I just want you to know, what gives you heartburn gives me heartburn. And it gives God heartburn. Because Jesus loves you. And you're someone he was willing to come to this earth to die for, to show you that love. He's not here to judge you or to criticize you. He's here to offer you grace. And so if you're an atheist by reaction, don't look at it that way. What does the Bible portray about Jesus? And by reason, recognize how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. So, so many people, I want nothing to do with God because of their reaction. Second thing is this, is that the way that you live your life and how you treat other people writes a narrative of who God is. See, because before they come to know Jesus, you're the only God that they know. And I would say it this way, you are a walking theology of how people see God. And if you are a Christ follower, that is a sober, sober, sober responsibility. And so I'm going to ask you today, how well are you reflecting Jesus in the way that you live? Are you reflecting a God of love and a God of compassion? Or a God of judgment and criticism? In fact, I thought about this this week. Do you know that the gospel is good news? Do you know that? Have you ever heard that before? 
The gospel is good news for the unbeliever. Do you know who it's bad news for? And sometimes we present the gospel as bad news to the unbeliever. The, the bad news is for the believer, not for the unbeliever. The good news is, Jesus would say, I died for you so you can have a relationship with me. The bad news is, is once you say yes to Jesus, now here's what I want you to do. You take up your cross and now you die for me, is what Jesus would say. So who's the one that's got the bad news? It's not the, the unbeliever, it's the believer, the person who knows Jesus. Because there's a sacrifice of our lives that we have to give over to God. In fact, I was thinking about this. The Bible says it is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So it's his goodness that draws me in. It's, and, and, and it's the grace of God. And so here's what I want to say. It's not, think about this guy, it's not their sin that makes them different. It's God's grace. It's your story that makes you different. And when you live out of that grace, it impacts the world around us. And so I would say this, if you want to live your best story, treat people well. Treat people with respect. Uh, treat people the way that God has treated you. And he's shown you grace. He's shown you compassion. In fact, uh, here's the truth. Emotionally and spiritually healthy people love others well. And if you are emotionally and spiritually healthy, then the way that you treat others is going to be reflected in, in what's in your inner heart. Uh, Psalm 112 says it this way, speaking of righteous people, it says they share freely and give generously to those in need. It's their good deeds that will be remembered. And what does it say, everybody? Forever, right? It's your good deeds. It's the kind things that you do for people that will be remembered forever. They, the righteous person, will have influence and honor. And how many of you want to have influence and honor today? We all do. Every one of us wants to have influence and honor in this world. And the way that we do that is by loving people well. In fact, if you're um, going to be involved in your uh, connect group uh, this week, in the discussion questions, I make this statement. And so you'll see this come up again. Because honestly, when I think about the story of my own life, sometimes it's easier for me to name the adventures and accomplishments of my life than the impacts of love that I have made. And what I mean by that is sometimes when I evaluate my life, I can look at the things that I've done, the experiences that I've had, the purchases that I've made, I can name those off more than I can actually name the objects of love or the things of compassion that I've done for other people. And I thought about what if instead of me living for that Ford Maverick truck that I've seen come out, right? Or my guns or my uh, jet ski. What if I were to live for using those payments to make a difference in the life of another individual? What if I actually used my resources in my life to love people well the way that God has loved me? And what if I can actually look back over my life and say, you know what? The things that I really focus on, things that I really remember, were the impacts of love that I've had on other people. In fact, let me ask you a question. When is the last time you have used your life in a sacrificial way to love somebody else? When's the last time? Now, when's the last time you actually purchased something for yourself? Okay, I'll stop meddling, okay? Because it's true. Um, and here's what's been messing me up. I put this on my Facebook feed, so you can stalk my Facebook feed if you want. I put on a quote from Chris Hodges. 
And this quote's been messing me up for a couple weeks. But here's what he said. It's a question, an analysis of our hearts. He says, is what you're giving yourself to going to show up in heaven? So the things that you're giving your life to, are those things going to ultimately show up in heaven? And the reality is, I'm not sure when I look at my life. So i got to evaluate this thing. So how am I loving other people? All right, third thing is this. If you're going to live your best story, you got to remember that you had a need too. Because here's the truth. Every one of us comes to Christ out of need. It's just the reality. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 8 says this way. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him uh, begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. He said, I'm the man, right? How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Shalom and washed. So I went and washed and then I could see. And so what you'll see here is this guy came to Jesus out of a need. He particularly had a physical need. Some of you who have a relationship with Jesus today, maybe you came to Jesus out of a physical need. Maybe others came to him out of a relational need. You needed relational healing in your life. Every person comes to Jesus out of need. Your relational healing, maybe your marriage was jacked up and you needed someone to support you through that. Your parents, you had a relationship issue with your parents or your kids or your siblings. There was tension that was going on and you needed someone to help you through that. And Jesus was there for you. There are other people who come to Jesus out of an emotional need that they have. Some of us, man, maybe we came to Jesus like I did because I had a spiritual need. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that there were things that I did that God wasn't happy with. And what I needed was not to experience his judgment. I needed to experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness in my life. Because what's happening here is every single human being comes to Jesus out of a need. And what happens is the amazing reality then is is what God does is he takes our weakness, which was our need, and he makes it our strength. Because when you look at this story, for generations to follow even today, that weakness, that brokenness of that man continues to speak to our hearts today because he was willing to admit what his weakness was. And so what I want to encourage you with, as those who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you, don't avoid your weaknesses. Be honest with them. Admit your weaknesses. And talk about the reality that that weakness is actually something that God met you in, and now that weakness is actually becoming a strength in your life. Because remember, every single person comes to Jesus out of a need. Fourth thing is this then. Not only do we want God to be the author of our story, Love well. Remember that we have a need. But the fourth thing is, is, is that we need to focus on the one thing. Now, I think it's really important. We've got to focus on the one thing in our story that ultimately sets us apart because every one of us has a one thing. It says this in verse 13. It says, they brought the Pharisees, um, the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, because the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day said it was a sin to heal somebody on a Sabbath day or to do any work whatsoever. So these guys are ticked off that Jesus actually made a difference in the life of another man. 
And then the man says, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. A second time, to bring the guy in, they summons the man who had been blind. They said, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. Because obviously you're lying, right? Tell the truth. We know this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. He replied, oh, and then the man replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. And then I want us to read the rest of this together, which means we have to move our lips, okay? He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And what's so cool here is, is that all of a sudden, God uses the story of a nobody to become a somebody. God uses somebody from who the eyes of culture would say was a nobody. Now think about this. This guy had no experiences. He had no education. He was blind from birth. And the only thing this guy did well was beg for money. That's the only thing he did well. But now all of a sudden, he has one thing that he can share that can make a difference, not only in that culture, but as we said a few seconds ago, for generations to follow, continue to impact the lives of people. And so what I want to do is I want to free us up this morning. Because what I think happens is sometimes when we um, have a relationship with Jesus, we think that we have to be brilliant theologians or know scripture really well to lead someone to Jesus. But what does this guy show? This guy only knew one thing. And the one thing that he knew was, I was blind, but now I see. And for each one of us, that one thing might be, be different. But there's one thing that God has done in your life, and that one thing becomes the testimony and the story of your life. I think I shared this before. I remember, I'll never forget a time where I asked this guy, Mike, to go to lunch with me because he was investigating the claims of Christ, and I was so nervous doing so, I actually memorized like 10 to 12 verses so that when I met with him, I could be able to spout these verses off and help him understand Christ better. And I got there, and I started sharing these verses, and he's like, Dan, I don't need to hear anymore, right? He's like, I don't need to know anymore. He goes, all I want to know is, how do I get Jesus into my heart, right? And his point was, I see him working in you, and I want the same thing for my own life. And so what happens is that one thing, you don't have to be a great theologian. You have to know that one thing. What's the one thing that God has done for you? And be willing to share that. I was blind, and then God helped me see. Uh, my relationships were jacked up and messed up. And God showed me what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus who can heal my relationships by teaching me how to love better. Um, I was drowning in debt, and, and God showed me that there was a better way. I was living with these strongholds. I've heard that before, right? And God spoke deliverance over them. I needed forgiveness, and God showed me his love, right? I was covered in depression, and I was in a dark cave, but God illuminated me with the light of his love and showed me how much he values my life. So what's that one thing? And I really believe if we focus on that one thing, that God will use it to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And then the last thing this morning as we close our time together is I think we really need to find confidence in our God's story. I think we need to find confidence in it. And what you'll see over and over again in this story is that from the very beginning, when Jesus encountered this man, from the very beginning, the enemy was trying to steal his story. And the enemy was trying to silence him from sharing his story. 
In fact, if you read John chapter 9, verses 1 through 34, which I just encourage you sometime this week to do that, what you will see in there is that four times the religious leaders came to this man to ask him what happened. And not only did the religious leaders continue to probe and try to silence him, but it even says here that, that he, um, he was abandoned by his parents because they called his parents in and his parent, parents kind of said, no, we want nothing to do with this, right? Why don't you ask him yourself what happened? Because they were too afraid of the religious leaders. And so he's terrorized by religious leaders. He's abandoned by his parents. He's alone in the crowd. And yet this man stands true to his story. Look at verse 26. It says, then they asked him, which was the fourth time, what did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? And here's what he answered. I love this. Probably one of my favorite couple verses in scripture. He said, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why uh, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Right? I already told you guys. Oh, wait, you want to become his disciples too, right? And uh, that's so cool. I love that. And while the enemy tried to silence him, he wanted to use his story to make a difference. And he only knew one thing. So what's your one thing? And church, here's what I want to end with today. I think it's really important for us to recognize, like this man, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the enemy doesn't want you to share your one thing. The enemy wants you silenced. Because if you're willing to share your God's story, that one thing with the world around you, guess what's going to happen? The world is going to be drawn to the Jesus that's inside of you. And what the enemy will do is he will use tactics like these guys, like he will either use people to create fear in you, uh, relational brokenness out of your relationship with Christ, needs that you have, he'll use anything in, in your life possible to silence you from the story that God has given you. And if you're going to use your life to make a difference, find confidence in the one thing that God has done in your life and celebrate that. Celebrate it. For me, I needed his forgiveness because I had done things that I knew didn't please his heart. And when I came to him, he didn't judge me and criticize me. He offered me love and forgiveness and taught me a better way to live. That's my one thing. And I'm sticking to it, right? And God has given you one thing and you've got to stick to it. And what happened was, and again, I told you, I've been praying that God would really use this message to speak to hearts today. And one of the things that happened in my devotional time this week was I was reading through Ephesians, and I got to chapter 5. And Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about, like we talked about this morning, that God has given us his light and put his light in us so that we would illuminate that light to the world around us. And what happens is when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, that light gets brighter and then it gets illuminated to the world around us. And I think what happens because of life circumstances and situations and brokenness, what happens is that light gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer because it pushes us away, culture pushes us away from Jesus. But the closer we get to Jesus, the more that light becomes bright. It's the picture of, I remember being a kid, remember they had those little stars that when you were in your bedroom, you could actually put on your ceiling, and if you turn the light on and turned it off, they would be super bright. And then as the night went on, they got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. So you turn the light on again and make them real bright and turn it off again. Anybody remember those? I'm the only guy. Okay. Um, 
But it's kind of like those pictures of those little stars. And what happens is when we get away from Jesus, it gets dim. But when we come closer to Jesus, it gets brighter again. And I'm here to say to some of you today, maybe you're discouraged by life circumstances and situations. Maybe there's fear that has pushed you away from God because of what people have said about you and your relationship with God. Maybe there are circumstances and situations in your life right now that are creating pain in your heart that is pushing you away from your relationship with Jesus. What I want you to hear today is that God does his best work in our pain and in our brokenness. And what we need to do in these moments, instead of letting the enemy, like he was trying to do with this man, push us away from God, we need to push ourselves towards God through reading his word, through praying every day, through singing with sincerity the worship songs that we sang this morning earlier, right? Through worshiping him through music, by being involved in our connect groups because there's relationship there that will point us towards the things of God. And if you want to live your best story and live a confident story, move yourself closer to Jesus instead of away from Jesus. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.